Welcome to the Africa Speaking Podcast. The podcast discusses critical issues about the African continent. It is brought to you by Toyota Communications in Nairobi. My name is Kimani Njogu. We continue with our third episode in our three-part series of this podcast on trade unions in Kenya with historian and writer Zarina Patel. So what happens then? I mean, in the early 1960s appear to be very, very interesting years because uh, Pio Gamapinto is assassinated. Then there is also this tension between, you know, the choices that Kenya has to make in terms of leadership. Do we go left in terms of our association with uh, political political left? Or do we stay uh, on the political right, which basically solidarities with America and Britain and, 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 and yeah, imperialist powers? Right. So uh, in between, the workers' associations and unions are uh, muffled. Right. Yeah? Their role becomes yes. minimized. Yeah. And so how do you see that play out in the 60s with now Kenya People's Union uh, with Jaramogi Oginga Odinga, who is a vice president at the time, yeah. uh, who is at odds with Kenyatta yeah. at that time. And of course, Jaramogi being leftist in terms of his thinking. Yeah, right. Do you see the workers themselves, not the leadership, but the workers themselves associating themselves more with Jaramogi at the time or, or they were not? Because of lacking um, a platform to do that. After independence time, it was the workers who led the anti-colonial struggle. And uh, they were really the progressive voice in our country. Yes. After independence, the politicians came to the fore. And so now you had this uh, leadership of the left uh, politicians like Odinga and all that, Gama Finto and, and Kabgi and so many others. So the, the government, the British government, had successfully muffled the working class. Now they had to muffle the political class. Yes. And that led to the ousting of uh, Dinga. Jaramogi, yes. From uh, Kanu. Yes. Right. And, and then he forms KVU, and then KVU is banned. The Kenya People's Union. Yeah, yeah it's banned. The formation of KVU, Jaramogi's chief advisor was Fran Larset, who was a, a very militant trade unionist. So that connection also, you know, continues. Pranal is devoted. Yes. Uh, never comes back uh, to Kenya again. And uh, Jaramogi is detained. He's detained, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. At the same time, I think Akumu also was detained. Dennis, yeah, Dennis Akumu Remember? was also detained. Yes, yeah. Dennis Akumu was also detained. Right. He was released in uh, 1969 and briefly made... Secretary of the KOTU. And of course, Bildar Kagia at the time also is targeted yeah, also. very, very, very uh, yes. systematically yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, uh, controlling his political base. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and delinking him from the political base. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so the first thing is to muffle. Yeah. The muffle, the, the trade union movement. Yeah. And minimize its militarism, right. which was quite evident in the pre-independence period. Right. Then target the political class that has solidarity with the trade unions. Right. And of course, completely now set up this KOTU yeah. and control it in terms of 
its leadership and so on. And I think you you also said that this continues to this day. Yes, so is there is there any transition? Is there a point at which it's you had to remember and as I said, the coup was brought in just uh, as a face-saving thing, you know, right. for a very brief period. And then there was this chap called uh, uh, Justice Mulay, yes, uh, who takes over. And then, of course, we get Joseph Mugala. Joseph Mugala, yes, yes. I remember Joseph Mugala. Yeah, right, firmly entrenched in the Moi Kanu single party setup. So, I mean, that was the end of any worker <laughs> dreams or anticipations, you know. So that the leadership of the trade unions basically working very closely with the executive and the dictatorship. And the state. Yeah, the, the dictatorship. dictatorship. Yeah. So absolutely no negotiating platform for the for the workers as yeah. it were. So whether it was actually encouraged or happened, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure. But what we see is that now instead of the ideological wranglers, wrangling, you begin to see ethnic and political wrangling. Absolutely. It's always um, a strategy where you, you bring in now the ethnic difference, yeah. uh, which is superficial, into play. And that was a strategy that was used also in the colonial days yeah. uh, to minimize um, class solidarities so that the languages you speak, your ethnic base, is used as a point of reference other than the place you occupy in production, which is basically as workers yeah. or as peasants and so on, and whether you are part of the political elite. Right. So in the 19 80s, 1990s, we start seeing almost the ethnization of uh, the trade union leadership. Across the world, right? In yeah. sports, in everything. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know. absolutely. And, uh, and now they're all working under KOTU. They're still under the Central National. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you have the Kenya Planters Union, which yeah. is still working with the uh, in agriculture and other right. sp- other right, spaces, right. yeah, right, right. but still under and some. Go to umbrella body. So they're all, they're all these are the unions, correct, correct, uh, which correct. Are, are doing their work. So of course, then you know we've got uh, the struggle for multipartism, correct, uh, yes. happening. I would imagine relatively less worker involvement. Correct. It was more the students from the university. And lecturers yeah. and a few and, and a few lawyers. Yeah. And we get multipartism in ninety two and then of course the conflicts that arose then between the different political formations and parties and, and we really we went back again to the Moidi Kanu days. Correct. Basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. so, essentially middle class reformist approaches um, mm. And and it seems like the idea really is, you know, opening up multi-party political participation right. other than radical um, transformation in terms of the economic and political direction for the country. Uh, yes, and uh, something that, uh, of course, the imperialist powers have always insisted on, democracy. Yeah. Elections every five years, that was the most important thing. So we get back to that formation. Yeah. Mm. Whether or not uh, those formations have any significant social transformation on the ground. Uh, yeah, or, or in any way benefiting the, uh, the country, you know. Correct. So by, 20, by the year 2000, the economy is in dire straits. Yeah. And the unemployment is soaring. Yeah. And workers are very, very unhappy. And Koto is finding 
that they've got a, uh, the, the membership is severely reduced. It's declining. Yes. Which means that, of course, their income is... Yeah. There is no, they, because there are, no, they, there are no job opportunities. I mean, it's the economy is in shambles. And, and Koto is not delivering anything, so and why Koto join Koto? Correct. And reduce to Correct. Koto. Correct. Right? Correct. So it's not just the membership declining, but the income declining, right? Yes, yes. Uh, for the slave aristocracy. And of course, uh, Koto becoming less and less credible. Correct. Right. And, and staying and becoming very, very connected to the American and uh, the global north, basically, yeah, settings. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they have to have the change. Correct. So now Mugala is replaced by Francis Atoli. Francis Atoli. <laughs> the guy who wears a lot of gold on his neck. That's right. And his hands. That's right. And he says he has homes scattered all over the country. And and, yeah. and, and he also, of course, wears extremely expensive watches worth millions and millions of shillings. That's right. That's, That's the right. leader. He's a secretary general of the, of the, workers. Of the workers' union. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he was a head of the Kenya plantation and agricultural workers. Yes. So he takes over as general secretary of KOTU. But now the uh, ILO, International Labour Organization, yes. insists that the trading movement must de-link from the government. It was too embedded with the government. ILO is feeling that this needs to stop. Yes, it has to stop. So they make some changes. Mm-hmm. But they're really just, you know, face-saving changes. Very superficial changes. Very superficial changes. Yeah. Nothing radically changes. But uh, Atoli comes now as a more worker-friendly, you know, slightly more independent-sounding yeah. Secretary General. But in fact, nothing has changed. Yeah. Very to, even today, mm-hmm. workers don't have a say in Koto. So would you say that there has been very systematic weakening of the trade union movement in Kenya? And right now, what we have, really, is nothing comparable to what we had in the colonial days, when under Mahan Singh and others, uh, there was such a huge consciousness of, of class. Do you see any hope? I just want to make a small correction here. Yes. We see a weakening, not of the trade union movement, mm-hmm. Because Kenya can always get up and say that we have a very strong trade union. Go to. Yes. Right? Yes. What we see is a weakening of worker power. Ah, a weakening of worker power. Yeah. Almost a negation of it. So that the workers do not have a voice as such, even when you could say you have the platform, you have Kotu, which is basically the organization itself. And you have a very loud... Secretary General, who does this. Right. But in terms of the power of the workers to yes. determine the destiny of the country, and, it's not and push And push their interests and forward. And push their interests. Yes. Well, those interests are political interests, Absolute. economic interests, or social interests. Absolutely absent. Absolutely absent, you know. That is evident even today. Just give to one, one small example is, uh, you know, we, we have been organizing the annual Mackensen lectures. Yes. And we've been trying to get Koto 
not the leadership we know that kotu maintains that the trade union movement in this country was started by tomboya oh so they yes they don't uh, they, they don't have, recognize they're erasing they're erasing a historical <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. they are redefining yes. history they don't recognize makan singh you know at all okay so it's it's a and, and you history. know while i remember one of the cardinal points that makan singh made was that uh, the trade union must be a workers organization yeah worker led and worker formed so it was totally antithetical to you know the the fars that we that came later very interesting very very interesting um so would you say um as we try to wrap up our discussion would you say that there is potential for the workers to have their power back and what would it take i mean is it gone 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 forever No, never. It's never true. It's no forever, because I I I do think that the primary agent of change in uh, political direction, in, in ideological direction, for that matter, is when the material circumstances begin to change. That is when the consciousness changes, and workers begin or whoever begins to look. for another solution or another way out mm-hmm. so it is the change conditions. in your material circumstances so as the situation deteriorates and it is going to deteriorate we know that uh workers will once again be forced to think beyond the uh, kind of uh, uh, solutions that you know our trade union kotu has been giving so far to workers and the government with this uh, annual 12% rate increase in wages and you know they've got to think beyond that so it's not a, i mean an easy question to to answer so much is going on i think the, the trade unions in the rest of africa are much more advanced eh? yes, than the about, east african so you think about kosatu and so on it seems like there is Nigeria Nigeria yeah uh, 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 Sudan Egypt up there in, in the north Algeria yeah. I mean their trade unions have caused revolutions yeah. or on the way to revolution anyway correct unfortunately i i think the british are very clever in how they knew how to diffuse things at the right time you know Bazarina let me ask you this huh? because workers are principally linked to factories and uh, other spaces of production whether it's in manufacturing and of course we saw market thing for example with the printers union and and so on and if you look at south africa with the industries in south africa you end up generating a lot of workers and it's same with nigeria the mines, same the mines. mines and and mining and so on and and also with nigeria with again yeah. the the mining and one could say the same with regard to other jurisdictions is it possible to say that um to the extent that kenya is not industrializing and it has not been industrializing the working class will continue to be small and we are not creating jobs in any other areas eh? will ha- still um have a smaller working class with less points of convergence 
Um, and even where you have workers in the factories in Nairobi, many of them end up re retreating to their rural spaces in the evening. They so, have an alternative. Yeah, they have an alternative. So they keep chicken. Right. So when they're coming to town, they carry gallons of, for example, um, milk from the neighborhood and they sell around. Do you think that this also is contributory to the, of course, without minimizing the role of the state in controlling the uh, emergence of this consciousness, that the very small opportunities for industrialization in Kenya undermines, you know, this class consciousness, the working class consciousness. I, I think you're absolutely right that uh, it is definitely a factor, but it is only one factor. Yeah. You know, uh, the term working class is under review. Mm. It's not what uh, uh, it used to be in Lenin's time, mm. uh, of just industrial work. Yes. The oppression and the exploitation and the alienation that was felt then by the industrial worker is now being felt even by the professional class. Mm -hmm. And that is why we recently had a doctor strike. We've got a union for doctors. We've got a union for the university lecturers. That you know, the biggest union in Kenya was the teachers' union. Yeah, the teachers' union, yes. Yeah, the yes. KNUT. Yes. Established when? 1957. You know, in 1966, it joined SCOTU. And then, of course, we had the Civil Servants Union. Correct. Uh, yeah, I remember with uh, uh, Kimani Wanyeke. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And these are not industrial workers. These are professionals now. Correct. I think the whole uh, term working class uh, has to be expanded yeah. and has to be reviewed. So there's more flexibility yes. in terms of formations and to say that the contradictions that existed or exists within the workers in the factories, yeah. the same contradictions you'll actually find in the professional in, systems yes, yes, because of yes. the level of exploitation right. and, and so on. Right. Yeah. I think though you're right about the lack of the industrial uh, workers here, Correct. you know, numbers, it is made up by, you know, yeah. yes. uh, all these other sectors. Correct. Uh, being being uh, drawn in. There's a very important observation that you have made. So you can see that um, the potential, of course, for the convergence, and, and you did say that the material conditions uh, have remained the same, you know, and they do not go away by themselves. So no, they right. have to be worked on. Exactly. And, and exactly. therefore, uh, we see workers uh, demanding power to determine their destiny. Right. But that destiny is political destiny. Economic right. destiny or right. social destiny. Yeah. There is the role of the state, yeah. which ensures that they, it doesn't happen. There's also the role of religion eh, in this. Religion, yes. Yes. For pacification sometimes. Yes, pacification. And, yes. and particularly now with the uh, influence of the evangelicals from the states. Yeah. I mean, talk about going backward, limitation of our... Abortion and all the rest of it. And you know what is very interesting, Zarina, is that there is the depoliticization mm. uh, through religion. Yeah. But what's very interesting is that during the liberation struggle, yeah, the religion itself was politicized, uh, so that you had hymns, for example, which yeah. were Christian hymns in Kenya, yeah, being converted into liberation songs uh, using the same 
rhythm and changing a couple of things so that one could talk about um, the depolitization being politicized yeah, right. through you know the same type of tools yeah. and so on. And of course, you, what you are telling me is that with the rise of evangelism and so on, the workers' power is again being challenged absolutely. through the process of pacification. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I didn't mention earlier on, but in 1947, uh, when we had the uh, ex-servicemen returning and so many other things happening, Another thing that was happening was the rise of the uh, small churches yeah. organization, Dini Masamwa, yeah. which that are lot. kind of local and in, in, in indigenous uh, movements yeah. located right. in the spirituality and the faith systems in central Kenya. Right. You had uh, the African Pentecostal, da, da, right. da, 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 yes. based in, in Ruiru and other places, then of course Dini Masamwa. Uh, in, in Bungoma, West, in Western yeah. Kenya, and so on. Right. So these formations also, which were almost assertions of a faith different from the colonial faith. Exactly, exactly. Very interesting. I, I want to bring this to a close, uh, and I, I just want to ask you whether there is anything else you'd like to share with me uh, with regard to uh, the trade union uh, perspective in Kenya, and if you could just tie it up with the rest of the continent. Uh, is there something else you'd like to to say yeah. uh, on this on this particular topic because we have covered quite a bit of ground. Yeah. Is there something else you'd like to add? I think it is generally accepted, I, I feel it is, yes. that the real agent for change is the working class. Okay? And that is all quite obvious from the way the colonists, imperialists, the capitalists approach the subject. I mean, it's not just in Kenya that they are uh, muffling the voice of the trade, uh, the working class. They're doing it right back there in their own Correct. country of uh, the United States. Correct. Okay, so that that that's a given. But the other thing they managed to do is with religion, with the wrong kind of education, with uh, media uh, distortion of news and fake news and all that. They have been able so far to uh, fool in the working class, certainly in Kenya, I'm talking of Kenya now, Correct. Uh, okay, into believing in capitalism uh, as the only system that, that can never exist, okay, and accepting that there will always be an employer-employee situation and relationship, mm. and that rich and poor, the religion teaches us, there, there will always be rich and poor in the world. You've just got to be more charitable. So the, the working class needs to, I think, understand better what is class and the class struggle. The whole issue of class is always... You know, class is never mentioned. It's as if it doesn't exist. And yet it is every day of our lives uh, that we battle through the class problems. And I think the, the worker has to become aware of their own power. You know, the, the uh, myth put out is that the ruling class, the leaders, the politicians, are the one who, ones who develop the country, bring progress. Well, none of these people would even be able to function without the working, working class. But the working class is not aware of how, how much power it holds. They're the ones who produce the things that... That we use every day. Right. 
and then they have to overcome all the different uh, tools that the uh, ruling class uses uh, to divide them, uh, whether it's ethnicity, whether it's religion, whether it's uh, gender, okay? I do think that one of the biggest uh, hurdles for uh, not just uh, worker development, labor uh, struggles, but even political struggles is the patriarchy in our country. Patriarchy? Yes. Yes. Because if you're going to leave behind half your population, forget it, you're never going to get anywhere. It's so strong, it's just incredible. And the, the resistance of uh, advanced comrades even to look at patriarchy, to begin to dissect it, to understand it, before they even begin to confront it, is in is just mind-boggling. As a woman, I have found it very, very difficult, you know, to make any headway in that field. And unless we do that, I'm afraid we are not going to make progress. You cannot solve a problem that you have not brought the level of consciousness. Absolutely. The only way of solving a problem is to raise it the level of consciousness. Exactly. And to appreciate that it exists. And then exactly. you'll be able to solve it. So the continued resistance to accept that patriarchy is a hindrance to the pursuit of equality is very, very problematic. The family, the home, is the kingpin of capitalism. The, the free labor of women. That's where it all began. And that's what keeps it going. If we are not going to look at that problem, what are we trying to solve? So the issue of patriarchy, I think, really needs to be uh, attended to. Yes, and I think only a left ideology can be of any benefit, not only to the workers, but even to our country. We can also have the problem through the neoliberal Capital, lens. yeah. Imperialist. Yeah, and and I, uh, the thing is, in the last, I would say, what, five, ten years, it has become so obvious. Socialism is on the map. It's being talked about openly. I mean, I think even five years ago, you didn't hear people talking about capitalism. People forget about socialism, but even capitalism. Okay, so there, there is a great change that's taking place, globally, yeah, globally. Well, Zarina Patel, I really want to thank you for a fantastic conversation with me in this podcast. Thank you, I've enjoyed it too. This has been an extremely educative uh, conversation with you, and I think that we have gained more knowledge about trade unionism, not just in Kenya, but actually on the continent, and you have brought to the podcast immense clarity, immense history that um, will be with us for a long time. And I really want to thank you again for underscoring the contribution of people such as Mahan Singh, who have not been sufficiently recognized in our educational system and also in terms of our national consciousness. So I want to thank you very, very much. And I'm sure that I'll be asking you uh, later in future to come and uh, help me understand certain other issues that I have no clarity about. And I hope you can come. Certainly. Kivani, it is a mutual thing. I've also learned from you. So it is a very good interchange of ideas and thoughts and history. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
This concludes our episode on trade unionism in Kenya in the three-part series of Africa Speaking Podcast with Zarina Patel. Thank you for listening to the Africa Speaking Podcast. Join us in our next episode, brought to you by Triza Communications. My name is Kimani Njogu. For any comments and views, you can reach us through our website, www.africaspeaking.org. You can also reach us on Facebook, Tuaweza Communications, or on our Twitter handle, at Tuawezacoms. You can also write to us on email, info at africaspeaking.org.